Greetings, Cap fans, and welcome to episode 84 of the Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast. I am your host, Rick Verbanis, and as always, I'm joined by the best gosh darn co-host out there. That would be Mr. Bob Lucius. Hey, Bob. Hey, Rick. Top of the morning, Governor. Hip, hip, doodly doo. <laughs> you know what I love about the, doing the show with you, Rick, is every week, uh-huh. I try to, I like, I try to come up with a new way to say hello to you, right? I mean, I think it through, I research it, you know, I try to get it just right, the timing just right, you know, get a laugh out of our listeners. I think it makes a show. <laughs> okay. You know, you know, Bob, that sounds like a retcon to me. Oh, what? Yeah, I think uh, I'm thinking you're kind of taking a little bit of a liberty here and changing the previous 83 episodes, give or take, and uh, in changing it uh, so that it's actually something different, a little new. Ah, why might I be doing that, Rick? I'm glad you asked, Bob, because today <laughs> is the top 10 other Cap Redcons, part one. And uh, you may ask why part one? Well, because we're only doing five. I mean, I'm not a math major, but you know, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm, we're, we're mm-hmm. going to do the other five in uh, part two. Uh, but we figured we'd have some fun today with, uh, with these, at least the first five of the top 10 other cap retcons. And, and I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give credit where credit's due. This was completely my brainchild. I, uh, I came up with the idea. I did all the research. I did the writing. And, uh, you know, Bob, as always, you just kind of just show up and uh, make a comment here or there. You're a hell of a manager. <laughs> Actually, I think I think Bob's uh, Bob's saying I may have retconned that. <laughs> no, I got to give credit to Bob. This is uh, this was Bob's idea uh, to do these retcons. Uh, Bob is a um, you know I will also give Bob some credit. He does a <laughs> tad bit more reading of the Golden Age than I do. I know. I know to some people that's blasphemy, uh, but it's true. Um, he gets into the golden age uh, a lot more than I do. So he, in his readings, and of course, reading current and modern and the last 50 years of Cap, um, he's noticed some differences. So we're going to go over those today. I think that'll be a lot of fun, Bob. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, absolutely. But I got to, we got to like warn the listeners, right? Because when you think, well, top 10 retcons, certain ones pop in your head, right, Rick? I mean, obviously there's some really, uh, really critical ones out there that, you know, if we ask, hey, what are the top 10 retcons? And actually we did in the Facebook group, right? We said, you know, what are the retcons that were most important? It, these aren't those. Oh. These aren't, yeah, nope. No? Nope, nope. These are, this is, you, you know, the title is the top 10 Captain America retcons, but the the fine print that the lawyers made us add was uh, 
they're probably not the ones you're expecting. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to skip okay. over some of the more obvious ones. Okay. Uh, wh- why, Rick? Because they're so obvious. Mm, okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm on board. Yeah. Like so I'm, yeah. So we know that Cap getting frozen in the ice in 1945 is an important retcon, but it's also an obvious one. You know, I, all right, Bob, I'm going to stop you there. <clears throat> um, I, I think this is an excellent point, right? If if the listeners came here seeing that we were doing top 10 Captain America retcons and they were coming and they're like, oh, well, uh, I wonder how they're going to rank them, right? Some are going to be more important than others. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, no, we're really not ranking them. I mean, I yeah. don't think so, right? Yeah. Um, we're just going over the ones that we think are entertaining and interesting and, and, and so on. And if you came here thinking, well, obviously they're going to talk about Avengers 4, and the fact that Cap was frozen and how Stanley, Jack Kirby brought them. And sorry, fellas. Sorry, mm-hmm. ladies. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's for those pedestrian comic book podcasts. It's been those, done to death, darling. Yeah. I mean, th- those are for those, those, those podcasts that, you know, f- for people who really are just kind of, they know of Captain America, but they're not like diehard fans like, our listeners right right? yeah Yeah. Yeah. like the the list that bob put together is for for diehard captain america fans who quite frankly they're the ones who are going to appreciate and get this right it's for the discerning fans rick Mm -hmm. by the way do you have any great poupon um but of course (laughs) (laughs) so like like another one another obvious one right is captain Mm -hmm. america refusing to kill his opponents i mean we've talked about that one a lot oh yes we did um you know what we we talked about this when we covered the flash uh, the flag smasher story right where he was introduced uh this was covered back in episode 10 where uh we covered the those issues where cap made the choice to pick up an uzi and kill a terrorist uh and it was a, a decision that really haunted him Yeah. Plus, we covered that topic in interviews we've done with a number of authors who have written entire books about Cap as a symbol, a cultural icon and a moral exemplar. Absolutely. We we discussed this in episode 47 when we interviewed author Richard Stevens of (sighs) Captain America, Masculinity and Violence, the Evolution of a National Icon. Very good. Very good. Uh, We also had in episode 30, the author, um, Mark White, who was the writer of the virtues of Captain America. Yep. And then recently in episode 82, we had our interview with Jason Olson. Oh yes. Mark Grunwald and the star spangled symbolism of Captain America. Yeah. So we, we covered those topics. We already Mm -hmm. did those. So if you want to deep dive into, Captain America refusing to kill his opponents. Uh, we discussed that to death. So no reason to bring that into uh, top 10 Captain America retcons. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, now, Rick, another obvious one, right? Another mm-hmm. obvious retcon is Bucky being alive after having been presumed dead for decades. Oh, yes. We explored this one back in episodes 19 and 21 when we reviewed the classic Ed Brubaker, Steve Epting, Mike Perkins, uh, Winter Soldier origin story uh, that did back in volume five of Captain America. 
Right, right. And then there's also Sam Wilson's infamous origin story retcon, which we're also not going to address in this top 10 because we've already addressed it at length. Indeed. Uh, We covered this one in podcast episode 14. um, And that's when we had um, like a deep dive into the origin of the Falcon. We reviewed Captain America 117 and 119, which was the introduction of, of the Falcon. 185 to 191, which had... Um, you know, the Steve Englehart story, and then 276 to 278, which, which is the J, uh, J.M. DeMatteo story. And so we covered all that in episode 14. But if you want to hear it from the writer's mouths themselves, episode 52, we interviewed Steve Englehart, and episode 13, we interviewed DeMatteo. So yeah, we covered Sam Wilson's uh, origin story, which was retconned and then retconned again. Right, right. The double retcon, double secret retcon. Some yeah. people even say it was triple retcon. Yeah, right. That sounds painful. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and finally, there is also the whole Steve Rogers, William Naslin, Jeff Mays, William Burnside retcon. And we've covered a bit of that one, too. That's true. We did touch on this in episode six. Um, that's when we reviewed Captain America 153 through 156, which was the... Um, um, you know, Steve Englehart story of Cap versus Cap from the 50s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, again, we interviewed Steve Englehart uh, in episode 52. So he he touched on that. So we, we did cover some of that as well. So, so Bob, what you're saying is we're not going to talk about Avengers 4 retcon where Cap was, oh, no, he didn't die. He was frozen in ice. We're not going to talk about Bucky being alive after being presumed dead for decades. We're not going to talk about the, the retcon, retcon, retcon of Sam Wilson's origin. And we're not going to talk about the various uh, Captain Americas um, besides Steve Rogers, William, you know, Naslin, Mason, and Burnside. We're, we're not going to cover that in this episode. That's it. That's, that's it in a nutshell, Rick. I mean, it's not that these aren't important retcons in the Captain America mythos, right? In fact, I mean, it can be argued that these are some of the most important ones. Nevertheless, we thought we'd explore some of the other important ones that maybe don't always pop into your head when the subject of retcons comes up. So I got to stop you here because I think I didn't even really hear the word retcon before until I was reading comics or reading about comics, I should say. Um, so what exactly is a retcon for our listeners? Well, that's, that's a great question, Rick. I mean, it's a word that almost everybody who's in the comics has heard at one time or another, right? But what does it really mean? So apparently the term retcon itself is a neologism, right? It's, it's a relatively newly coined word. I'm sorry, word. Yeah? A, a, a what? A, a, neo, a neologism. <laughs> a neologism. Okay. All right. Thank you. I'm, I'm learning something about- I'm like Benny Hill, I'm <laughs> learning all the time. <laughs> so, you know, think of it as a newly coined word, right? Um, one that, uh, that linguists would refer to as a, a portmanteau, right? That's a French word. If we had Batroc here, he would be in the heights uh-huh. of his glory, right? That's true. It's, it's, a, it's a new word that's created from blending two other words. Like, uh, like when you take smoke and fog and you come up with smog. Oh, I was going to say fogs. <laughs> but i like yours better i like yours better smog's better oh, very nice very nice very nice you should get that copyrighted or trademarked, <laughs> whatever it is that you do 
So the word retro, uh, retcon is short for retroactive continuity, right? It's a literary device by which established facts about a character, about his or her actions and previous narratives are either adjusted or ignored or, or maybe even contradicted by subsequently published narratives that then break that continuity. So we need to be a little careful here about how we use the term. Um, and a retcon isn't simply the addition of additional detail or filling in gaps about matters that haven't been previously addressed. A true retcon changes something that was previously established. I mean, in some cases that change might be minor or at least it might seem so, while in others it could be a really big deal. So with that out of the way, what are our top 10 Captain America retcons? Uh, that aren't the obvious ones. All right. So we're going to get to those. Uh, and thank you for explaining that. Um, I think we're going to have some fun. All right. So let's start with number 10. Uh, Steve Rogers' dad was an ugly and abusive drunk. Yeah. Now this one, Rick, this one, this one bugs me. All right. But let me give you a little background, right? So, I mean, I think the first time we get any sense about Steve Rogers' father, Joseph Roger, Rogers, is in Captain America 255. But it's really just a brief passing mention by Roger Stern. In fact, his name hasn't even yet been uttered. We simply learn that Rogers' father died when he was still a child. By issue 282, J.M. DeMatteis, or is it DeMatteis? <laughs> let's, let's, let's ask Jim Shooter. <laughs> <laughs> let's not. In any case, by issue 282, J.M. DeMatteis tells us that Roger's father died when the future Captain America was only a wee six years old. He's presented in this issue, at least in Cap's opium-fueled dreams, as a decent man with kind and firm advice for his son to never stop believing in himself and to never quit. That's All right. good stuff. It is, except you lost me when you said Steve had opium-fueled dreams. I don't recall Steve being an opium user. Well, I think he, he, he got a touch of something, didn't he, from, uh, was it Madam Hydra? It was, yes. It's mm. true. Viper. Mm. Uh, did capture him and then pump him full of uh, drugs. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he like, was. He was having those hallucinations. You know, I like her. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be right back. <laughs> All right, I'm back. In the much later one shot, Captain America Mythos, written by Paul Jenkins. Now, that was in 2008. Rogers says that he doesn't remember much about his father, except that he, quote, laughed a lot and smelled like applesauce. <laughs> Why am, I having, why am I having backflashes <laughs> of uh, Peter Brady? Right, exactly, right? Pork chops and applesauce. Yeah, and then he died uh, of influenza in 1926 at the age of 33. And we also learn in Mythos that Steve's father and mother had immigrated to the United States from Ireland, where they had met and had been married. Now, it's only in episode, uh, in, in issue 283, this was in 1983, that we learned that Steve Rogers' father's name is, in fact, Joseph Rogers. And for the first time, we're told that Steve's dad wrestled with a bottle for most of his life. And yet, we're also reassured that both Sarah and Joseph were good people who filled Steve's heart to overflowing and gave him a, quote, good life, unquote, despite being poor. In his vision, Steve hears his mom tell him how much he reminds her of Joseph, her husband, and she sees both of them as dreamers. 
A little bit later in uh, Captain America, The Legend, this was in September 1996, uh, uh, the author shares that Joseph Rogers was a dock worker who abused alcohol and died when Steve was but a child. Now, this is all, you know, okay, he's an alcoholic. We got it, right? Makes sense. But in Captain America 421, November 1993, Grunewald takes Joseph Rogers in a darker direction. No longer was he just a docile drunk, you know, portrayed as he was by Demetrius. In the midst of a brawl with the brainwashed Jack Monroe, Grunewald has Steve described Joseph as an alcoholic, a wife beater, and a quitter. That's a far cry from how Sarah described him, right, in in Steve's recollections. And this is the Joseph Rogers we encounter full bore in the first seven issues of Rick Remender's Volume 7 of Captain America. I, I know you know this this run, Rick. In issue one, we hear Sarah accuse Joseph of being a drunk, and we see him slap her twice. Mm-hmm. She suggests he's just like his own father. And in issue two, we read Steve's grandfather described Joseph as basically a good man who lost hope. In issue four, Sarah tells Steve, your father let his circumstances change him from a good man to a weak one. I like this though, Rick, you know, a weak man, not a bad one, but a weak one. Right. Right. That's, that's an important distinction. And in issue seven, Steve recalls that he was crushed by the weight of hard times, but he was a good man. He loved us, but his inability to provide during some very hard years robbed him of his pride and eventually his hope. He just couldn't stand back up. He was drinking, escaping from what he saw as a hopeless situation. The only way he could. And over time, he just disappeared. Mm. Now, I, I think this is a retcon, Rick, because you know when we, when 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 mm-hmm. Joseph was first introduced, he was a bit uh, he was he abused alcohol, right? But mm-hmm. I mean, we've known people that have abused alcohol. I know I sure have. That you know they just become sort of docile, right? They're addicted, but they're not abusive. They're not wife beaters, right? They don't slap their their wives and kids around. But by by Grunewald's run and, and certainly by Rick Remender's, well, he's a he's a full on wife beater. Right. He's an angry, mean drunk. Yeah. Yeah, it is quite. I don't know, maybe maybe it's, you know, the writer's ways of trying to paint a more desperate beginnings for Steve Rogers. So that way he has something more to climb out of. Right. Um he had something that he could overcome, um, you know, so by having, it wasn't bad enough that they were poor and then his father died and his mom had to, you know, take on odd jobs and then she died and he was a young age. No, that wasn't bad enough. They had, uh-huh. they had to, to throw this in there as well. Yeah. So it's interesting because not only was the father changed when it came to alcohol, but it also Steve Rogers himself. So, you know, Steve Rogers went from being someone who, who had alcohol to someone who didn't. Um, and that was during Mark Grunewald's run. And so, you know, if you go back to beginning or early days of, of J.M. Demetrius's run, um, back in 1981, there was an issue 261 where it's, I think it was called Celluloid Heroes. And, and it starts with, um, uh, Steve and Sam and his neighbor, uh, Josh Cooper. And the three of them were at a bar mm-hmm. and they're, and they're drinking and, and, um, 
maybe got a little tipsy and then uh, Steve and Sam are, are leaving and they're, and they're in their civilian clothes. Right. And um, they're leaving and they see a mugging in the alley and the two of them go to, uh, to stop it, but they've had too much to drink. Um, so it was, it was kind of, you know, I mean, it was obvious, right. Then we get to Mark Ruwald's run and he, you know, he didn't drink. Right. Mm-hmm. So what changed? Well, the writer, and so I actually, um, knowing this was one of our our top 10, I actually reached out to Mark's wife, Catherine Schuller Grunwald. Um, and she, you know, she had been on the show before um, talking about uh, Mark Grunwald. And that was back in episode 11. So highly recommend people check that out for a very intimate conversation with uh, with with Kat about about Mark. And, you know, he past very early age and early 40s and so i asked her about this and she said that you know mark was very anti-drug and anti-alcohol um, he personally never needed to escape um using these means and or or in, to tap into his creativity um and he was very conscious about his health um, you know, I won't get into some of the personal things that she shared, you know, about his family and, and some of the things that drove him to that point. But <clears throat> essentially, this was something that one, um, he just, he felt that it was important to make this part of Cap's belief system too. Um, and, and also he, he, he was super aware of his influence to readers. Um, so he wanted to keep cap as that shiny example of, of drug-free and alcohol-free living. Um, and he wasn't, you know, corny or preachy about it. He just, Mm. he just thought it wasn't necessary to have a good time. And so, um, so, you know, I think, you know, that kind of helped explain, Mm -hmm. you know, you go from, one writer to another writer to another writer, their backgrounds are different, their beliefs are different. And that kind of uh, drips its way into the characters that they write, but none so much as, as um, obvious as this, because again, it became when Grunwald was on that Steve didn't drink and his dad was, you know, uh, you know, abusive to his wife. Man, that, that, that is awesome background. That's why I hired you for this game. Good job. Yeah. Oh, I appreciate that. <laughs> Thanks. Can I come back next, next episode? <laughs> eh, we'll talk about it. All right. <laughs> All right. So let's get to number nine uh, of the top 10 other Captain America uh, retcons. Number nine is Steve Rogers always wanted to be an artist. Right. Right. Now, now, a couple weeks ago, I don't know, maybe it's three weeks ago, I made a I made a post in the Captain America comic book fans Facebook group that highlighted a, it was a short article from the 1939 Daily Bugle newspaper promotional giveaway that Marvel published in June 2009 in the run up to the Marvel Project miniseries. It was, it was a fake newspaper yeah. that was 70 years old as a promotion. Right. And it had right. a bunch so of little, little articles. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. fun. A fun read. It's a fun stuff, right? And I posted a couple. I had Steve and Nick Fury. But, you know, the one about Steve uh, kind of struck me, right? Because it talked about a teenage Steve Rogers winning an art contest 
held by the Brooklyn-based Creative Arts Project. Wait, Creative Arts Project. Hey, that's an acronym. Hey, all right. Nothing gets by you, Rick. I love it. I love it. Yeah. (laughs) And it even included some glowing praise of his talents from his mom, Sarah Rogers. But, you know, when we're first introduced to Steve Rogers in Captain America Comics, number one, I mean, we're told almost next to nothing about him, except that he's a he's a frail young man. Even after he's awoken from his long, icy slumber in Avengers 4, his pre-Super Soldier backstory remains you know, a bit of a blank. Although we did learn about his elementary school civics teacher, Miss Edna Crossley, in issue 250, we don't learn anything about his family until issue 255. And then only the barest of details about his parents and the death of his mother, Sarah, from pneumonia. And, and the fact that her death occurred when he was in his late teens. In that issue, we read that Steve subsequently moved into a cheap boarding house and took a job as a delivery boy just to survive. But if you ask Cap fans now, many will probably tell you that Steve Rogers' backup plan had always been to be an artist. So where did that come from? That's a good question, Rick. The best that I could tell was from the mind of Chris Claremont and Roger McKenzie back in issue 237. Now, if you recall, shortly after Cap learned that Sharon had died during his dust-up with Dr. Faustus and the Grand Director in the National Force, he ditched Avengers Mansion and moved on over to 569 Lehman Place in Brooklyn Heights. And as he left, he handed his business card to Sam Wilson. And what did it say, Rick? Commercial artist. Right. Yeah, right. And it's not until like four issues later, I think issue 241, which we covered in podcast episode 68, that Steve lands his first job at Non-Parallel Publications, Inc., doing illustrations for a magazine called Tough, the magazine for macho men. Well, that's interesting. But in any (laughs) case, three issues later, in 244, he lands a second gig for an outfit named Plumber Publications. And then in issue 275, a third, working for Bennett Advertising, which uh, he briefly quits after the boss makes some anti-Semitic comment. But after Oh, yes, yes, yes. I, I, I love that issue. Um, because he's, he was saying something of, you know, uh, telling the, I think the reception of something like, you know, oh, you, you tell that old Jew to get a, you know, whatever. Right. And, and Steve wouldn't have any of that. And he, he ripped up the work that he stayed up all night to create mm-hmm. and he stormed out and, I, <laughs> and, and, uh, the, the guy says funny, he doesn't look Jewish. <laughs> That's right. That's the issue. Yeah. That's the one. Yep. And then, so anyway, after an apology, I don't know, five issues later, Steve's back working there. And he continues to work there until he decides in issue 309 that maybe the advertising business isn't really his cup of tea. In fact, according to Steve, he just doesn't feel right being part of an industry that, quote, places more value on possessions than people. All right, Bob. <laughs> I knew this would tweet you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yes, as someone who has worked at a few different advertising agencies in his professional career, I got nothing. (laughs) Uh, That would be all true. Yeah. All right. Uh, (laughs) Move along. (laughs) All right. So anyway, throughout all these issues, we get various glimpses of Steve at his drawing board in his apartment at Lehman Place. But it's an issue 310 
written by Mark Grunwald, that Steve Rogers finally figures out what he wants to do with his talents. So while riding on the Lexington Avenue local subway, he spots a couple of young teens talking about Captain America comic books of all things. And Steve thinks to himself, holy moly, I just thought of something. Like, I know what, Rick, you know that quote, right? You yeah. got to do the Steve voice. Oh, oh, okay. <clears throat> all right. Holy moly, I just thought of something. Why can't I draw comic books for a living? Yeah, so, I mean, I mean, and after all, as he recalls, the Avengers had recently licensed the Marvel Comics group to adapt their adventures in comic book format. So finally, in issue 311, we see Steve Rogers interviewing for a job with Mike, the editor, at the offices of Marvel Comics. Now, incidentally, Mike Carlin was the real-world editor of Captain America at Marvel Comics at the time. And... Steve's offered, naturally, the gig of drawing, of all things, the Captain America book. It's actually quite an amusing interchange. As editor Mike tells Steve that the book is on the verge of cancellation because, well, sales have been kind of ho-hum lately. Naturally, Steve is shocked and says, You're kidding. I thought Cap would have been more popular. (laughs) Now, Now, perhaps the penultimate example of this shift in Steve Rogers' bio was when he, you know, along with Ron Friends and Mark Bagley, is credited as the artist for Captain America, Guardian of Freedom, published in 2000. Now, the writing credits for that book were given to Rick Jones, yeah, with the help of Peter David. Very cool. Very interesting. I think, I think all comic readers out there got a little bit of a thrill when they saw Captain America as a comic book artist, you know? Yeah. And if I remember correctly from that interchange with the editor, wasn't there like some people at a table, like drawing or writing at the time and they had like thought bubbles. And I, I seem to remember something about the grateful dead. I, mm-hmm. Am I, am I think am I remembering that correctly? I, I think you are. I mean, you know, the Grunwald thought bubbles, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. But also like that guy looks like Captain America. Right? Know, is that I, what it was? Okay. Yeah, there was a little bit of that too. Like that guy could be Captain America. He looks just like how he looks. Yeah. yeah. That is very cool. Yeah. So, yes, that is number seven. Uh, let's get to number eight, Bob. So, Sharon Carter mm. wasn't really dead. Yeah. Now, look, you know, it's clear that ever since. Sharon's first nameless appearance in Tales of Suspense 75, way back in, what, March 1966, that the relationship between Sharon Carter and Steve Rogers was an important part of the Captain America mythos. In fact, it still is, right? Even if eh, an occasionally awkward part. Besides lamenting the loss of Bucky in the 60s and early 70s, Steve's private mental life was largely consumed with his love for Sharon. Now, they, they bickered occasionally. Yeah, it's not unusual for any two-career couple. But I don't think anyone expects... Wait, 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 wait. Are, <laughs> are, you, are you bringing in some personal, uh, some personal some, insight I, to, to that I, one? I need to talk, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not unusual, right? It's not unusual. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you think about, you know, they have career aspirations. You know, it's hard. It's hard to juggle two careers, right? That's true. Yeah. And then well, you bring you bring in a, a, a son into it. Yeah. Right. You know? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Or Nick Fury. 
<laughs> oh, oh, we're talking about the comments. Yeah, yeah, oh, we're talking okay, about right, Sharon. Right. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, but in any case, I don't think anyone expected what happened at the conclusion of the National Force story arc that concluded with Sharon under the mind control of Dr. Faustus incinerating herself at issue 237. Yeah, what what were Chris Claremont and Roger McKenzie thinking there? I I don't know, Rick. I mean, the did they have a plan? I mean, I it's a good question, right? I mean, one would they were just so. fill in art. They were just fill in writers, and they go and they kill a major character. That was a major character, right? I mean, they might have been as tired as everybody with Cap, like going, "Oh my God," you know, Sharon, and no. But in any case, the apparent death of Sharon Carter was quite a shock, not just to Steve, but you know, presumably to many readers as well. But hey, you know. Life moves on, am I right? Now, sure, Steve struggled with Sharon's death for a bit. <laughs> you know, remember how the manipulator used a vision of her self-immolation against Cap in issue 247, you know, along with Peggy blaming him for it. Still, he, he moved on relatively quickly, right? In fact, right. right, he met Bernie Rosenthal five issues later in 247, and, and then eventually Rachel Lighton, a.k.a. Diamondback, Mm -hmm. and we barely hear the name Sharon Carter mentioned again. Well, yeah, but I don't know. There was was some early issues with Bernie Rosenthal. I seem to recall she comes over. He was doing an all-nighter as an artist. She comes over and is like, I'm going to make you breakfast, and then – or or – Something like that. There was a breakfast, right? And then she sees a picture of Sharon Carter and she says, like, you know, who's the blonde? Right. And he's like, oh, that was a friend. And then he kind of like puts <laughs> puts the picture frame down, face down. Didn't, right. Right. Didn't that happen? Yeah. No, you're right. You covered that in one of our episodes. Yep. That And that always makes, uh, that always reminds me of that commission that you had done. Oh, yeah. You know, with Steve and Sharon in a quiet moment after a mission. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So, Rick, I, you know, she's dead and gone, right? I mean, boom, he's off with Bernie. He's off with uh, Diamondback until nearly 200 issues later. 200, Rick, when Mark Wade began writing Captain America in the 90s. And he took the unexpected step of revealing that Sharon was, in fact, still alive. We covered this story. Uh, what episode, Rick? Yeah, we, we covered this story in podcast episode 15, which was um, issues 445 and 448. And we also talked to Mark Wade uh, in episode 78. And we asked him, uh, we asked him like, you know, hey, what was the point of bringing him back? And he had, it was a fun conversation. He was just kind of like, I can't believe they killed her. Like, and and did they, you know? So and, and it was a great story, um, but it was it was fun talking with Mark about that. Right, right. Now, this was a resurrection that was embraced by lots of fans, including Ed Brubaker, who, uh, if I'm not mistaken, suggested that he would have revived her during his run if Wade hadn't already done it. Now, now Sharon obviously played a huge role in Brubaker's run in, in Volume 5 and then in, in 6 as well. And most of the Cap storylines that have occurred since Wade took that unanticipated step wouldn't have been nearly the same if Sharon hadn't been involved. So here's the mystery, uh, Rick. Mm-hmm. Did Claremont and McKenzie really mean for her to be dead? 
or or maybe was she just put out to pasture for a bit because she'd become of a you know let's be fair a bit of a drag on cap's character development i mean was this really a retcon or or was it just an example of a well-worn character being maybe just put on the shelf until somebody was ready to use her again i mean let's contrast it with bucky who you know was dead right or or like jack monroe who was killed by the winter soldier in issue what? three of volume five. Oh, spoiler alert damn i forgot uh, to say spoiler oh, alert oh <laughs> jack's dead <laughs> i haven't gotten that far <laughs> no these are great questions great questions um yeah i don't i i don't know personally i'd have to say claremont and mckenzie meant to kill her i think I, so yeah i i think they were like you know what this this story has gone the path it's gone yeah. as far as it's going to go it's not it's it, it's just a re repetition of the yeah. same old thing mm -hmm. let's let's shake things up yeah. let's 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 kill Sharon. And I think because, you know, Mark being, uh, you know, very much someone into continuity and, and doing his due diligence and reading all, you know, the back issues and things like that. He read this and was like, it was off panel, you know, like mm -hmm. we don't know if she's dead. Right. You no. Know? And yeah. And it wouldn't be great to bring her back. And it did. It was an amazing story. And not only was it a really fun story, but to your point, all the stories that have come after that Sharon's been part of has been like, you know, it's been important to have her there. You know, you take a look at, you didn't mention volume seven, right. By right. Yeah. Remender um, where they go off to the, you know, the Zola universe and, and Sharon comes back aged. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, this was the, you know, the, and, and Steve comes back with the, you know, the son, Ian, and, and th that relationship that, you know, uh, between them and gosh, you know, you could go on and on about some of the stories that have come since then. So, and, and how important she was, you know, she was important in volume nine and, and the coats run. Um, I'm hoping, I'm hoping with the upcoming uh, series, you know, the Sentinel of Liberty, that she's important there as well. Mm -hmm. You know, she's, she's a, she's a, a really well-developed character now i think prior to wade taking over she was more of a kind of a two-dimensional yeah kind of character um you know she was a uh, a plot device that i think stan lee yeah. jack kirby kind of threw in back in the day as a romantic interest um but she's developed into a, a really well-rounded character. Yeah, and I think that that exactly hits the point, Rick, about how some some of these retcons can be very minor, but some that can be really consequential, you know. And they're not the big ones that we necessarily think about, but they they have ramifications that ripple on. And I think you're right. I think bringing her back allowed for character development in a way that yeah maybe was stymied or just you know was a little bit stagnant. And, and I think Claremont McKenzie were like, look, you know, if, if Steve Rogers was care if, uh, was serious, he would have put a he would have put a finger uh, uh, <laughs> he would have put a, a ring on that finger, right? And he didn't. <laughs> I was going to do a little Beyonce for you. But, uh, is that uh, what it was? Okay. <laughs> Woo, all right. Moving on. All right. So, so Bob, you know, it's interesting. You just, you just said the word stymied. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I learned something this week. The definition, oh, the definition, I would say the origin of the word stymied. Okay. Here's okay. a story folks. There, there is. So, um, the definition of the word stymie 
is to prevent or hinder the progress of. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, where that origin of that word came from was back in 1834 in Scotland. And it's, it has to do with golf. And uh, apparently um, it used to, used to be before there was, a, I don't do a lot of golf, but apparently if, if your ball is blocking the hole, um, you're allowed to like move your opponent's ball. Uh-huh. Right. Mm -hmm. But before that rule was in place, it was a defensive measure to to put your ball in front of someone else's. And apparently there was a a guy by the last name of Stymie and he was he did this and he was like, oh, you've been stymied and, (laughs) you know, your hole is blocked by his ball. Mm -hmm. And so that word end up being, uh, you know, something that that you know here it is uh nearly 200 years later yeah yeah and you say and listeners this is educational folks this isn't just entertainment this is infotainment Mm. edutainment i guess indeed yeah all right so uh (laughs) getting back to sharon carter all right so you mentioned uh about the manipulator used Mm. a vision of her self-emulation against Mm -hmm. cap Mm -hmm. along with peggy Mm. and then and i'm thinking I'm like, well, wait a minute, you know, like they were supposed to be related, right? Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so, so let's get to number seven, All right, right? Yeah. Sharon Carter, right? How, how are Sharon and Peggy related exactly? Yeah. Now, I mean, I think for a long time, this maybe wasn't, you know, you get a lot of attention, right? But I think if there's one thing fans like to debate, it's which one of Cap's love interests is best. I mean, Diamondback, maybe Bernie, or maybe Connie. How about Donna Marie or uh, or Cynthia Glass, right? Or but what about Peggy and Sharon? Yeah, yeah. So that's a great debate for another episode. Maybe we'll do a top ten Caps love interests, mm-hmm. right? Oh yeah. Um, but speaking of the last two, Peggy and Sharon, are aren't they sisters? Are they cousins? Are they aunt niece? Are they grandmother? Like, what? What? That just seems wrong. <laughs> you know, unless you're reading one of those erotic French novels. Oh, ooh la la, mon chéri. Yes, of course, right? The whole Peggy Sharon thing has a long pedigree. I mean, although perhaps not that long since neither of them were featured in any of the Golden Age tales. In fact, for the first time, uh, the first appearance of Sharon Carter, uh, then still unnamed, uh, if you recall, was in Tales of Suspense 75 back in March 1966. That was also the same issue and story that we kind of get the first hint of the character who would later uh, we would later come to know as Margaret Peggy Carter. Mm-hmm. Now, now, two issues later in Tales of Suspense 77, we learn the story of Captain America's ill-fated World War II romance. Uh, the one briefly recalled in issue uh, 75. Now, the name of Cap's wartime paramour, however, is never mentioned. Yes, that's interesting you should say that because um, we covered that story. I recall I remember, doing it. I recall, yeah, talking about this because I remember she just kept being referred to as her. Right. Right? Yeah. Right? Like, he, like Steve had 
like a photo, like he had a, a picture in a frame and he would look at it and he was looking out into the dark mm-hmm. night, stormy night. And he just kept saying, you know, if it wasn't, you know, for her and he like, mm-hmm. he like, it was always, he, God, I wish I'd asked her name. <laughs> I know. Right. Uh, other uh, things are on our mind. Yes. Right. Well, yeah, that. we've all had some, that problem. He had something <laughs> else on his mind. <laughs> So anyway, Rick, it's not until seven years later, in early 1973, when Captain America 161 and 162 hit the stands, that we are again reacquainted with the story of Miss Peggy Carter, who mm-hmm. is now committed to the Lost Souls Asylum and Rest Home under the expert professional care of one Dr. Faustus. Yeah, and we covered that in episode 51, which was Cap 161 162. Uh, and so we, if you want to check out that, that return of Peggy Carter, uh, that was, a, that was a fun story by Steve Englehart. Yeah. Right. And so it's in this story that, that it's revealed that Sharon is Peggy's younger sister and both, uh, both are daughters of Harrison and Amanda Carter. Now it's, it's also revealed what tales of suspense 77 led us to believe that Cap never knew Peggy's real name during world war two. He only refers to her as Mademoiselle. And likewise, Peggy never knew Steve Rogers' real name, presumably never having seen him without his cowl. So how can that be love? Right. <laughs> right. She yeah. was in love with Captain America, not Steve Rogers. Well, that could that that's one way to, to think about it. But maybe she wasn't swayed by his roguish good looks, right? Only the cowl. And so she loved him for who he was as a person, Rick. Why be so cynical? Uh yeah, sorry. I, I, I think she fell in love with the uniform. <laughs> hey, as, as a former Marine, you kind of know how that goes. Right? Oh, oh, yes. Oh, yes. That's why I joined the Marines. Yeah, I thought uh, the, the uniform would make me look more attractive to women. Turned out it didn't work. No? Uh, but yes, not the first mistake I've made. But in any case. <laughs> That's a hell of a long career to figure that out, Bob. <laughs> well, I'm not a quitter. so we see one of these early world war ii adventures with captain mademoiselle told in the 2011 one shot captain america and the first 13 a title that lets us know that peggy also used the moniker agent 13 well before sharon hearkening back to the tales of suspense 77 we're reminded that peggy suffered amnesia as a result of an explosion during the closing days of World War II, and when she eventually recovered, <laughs> I'm sorry, that's What's so, so funny about the post-traumatic stress syndrome, Rick. It just sounds so much like a soap opera, you know. It's like she's like, oh, she suffered from amnesia, you know. Right. That, that's yeah. such a, a poor plot device. Yeah, it's such uh, a rare condition, and yet it seems to happen a lot in comics. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll come back around to that later. But it was the 70s. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. So uh, when she eventually recovered, only then did she learn of Cap's alleged demise in May 1945. And this news, we're told, caused her to shut down mentally. Right. And she dressed herself as a widow uh, ever since. So her her family and doctors uh, never told her when Cap supposedly reappeared in the 50s for fear that another shock would be too much for her fragile mind. And when it proved that that cap was in fact the anti-communist cap and not Steve Rogers, and he too disappeared, 
it appeared that their caution had been warranted. So it's in Captain America 162 that she finally learns that Cap is still alive. But alas, too much time has passed for those crazy kids. And also Cap is canoodling her baby sister. <laughs> please don't please don't use canoodle and baby in the same sentence <laughs> so over the years she slowly gets over cap and comes to grip with her well let's say advanced age and steve eventually has to tell her of his involvement with sharon which he does in issue 179 you know eventually peggy bounces back right and she strikes up a romantic relationship with gabe jones as we see in issue 184 he was a former howling commando so he harks back from that time but he's also employed by shield like she is uh and their relationship as you know doesn't uh, go unnoticed by the red skull so peggy nope. go- uh, the, the the red skull <laughs> <laughs> Actually, uh, in my notes, Rick, I typed those two words together just just for your benefit. Oh, I love that. I love that. <laughs> now, explain why Red Skull did not like their relationship, for those who aren't aware. Yeah, well, let's just say he had a bit of a racial animus. That's a right. way of saying yeah. Because Peggy is yeah. white and Gabe was black. Right. So for those who didn't know, it was an interracial couple. Uh, and of course, this was written back in the 70s. Um, so, yeah, Heather Skull was not pleased. Not pleased at all. So anyway, Peggy goes on and she plays an important role in S.H.I.E.L.D. and with the Avengers. But, you know, she, too, eventually grows old, somewhat senile toward the end. And she dies. And we see her funeral in Captain America, number one, volume six, which was in, uh, came out in 2011. By Ed Brubaker. By Ed Brubaker. But like the other Carter, she doesn't stay dead forever. And in issue 19 of Captain America, volume nine, she reveals to Cap that she too is alive again. Thanks. I got better. <laughs> it was just a scratch. Thanks to the sentient cosmic cube, Kobik. Mm-hmm. But Rick, here's the real twist. It there's takes more? Yes, there's more. It, it takes place in issue 25 of volume when in Sharon's memories of her youth, she recalls sitting with Peggy, sitting on the floor watching old World War II newsreels of Cap in action as the older Carter girl sobbed quietly in the corner. And just like that, Peggy is identified as Sharon's aunt rather than her older sister. Now, in issue 49 of that same volume, we learn a bit more about Aunt Peggy's profound influence on her niece and how it shaped Sharon's decision to eventually join S.H.I.E.L.D. herself. Now, hold on, before we get into the rest. Mm -hmm. So, okay, let me, all right, let's start over here. So, we have them in the beginning as sisters, right? Right, right. Right, Uh, and then because... Because it made sense, right? Because in the 70s, you could have had, you know, I mean, obviously people from World War II are still abundant around. I mean, you know, it's it's 30 wow. years removed and, you know, they, they may have been 20 at the time. So here they are in their 50s. So, um, it, you know, at that time, the fact that Peggy and Sharon were sisters made sense. So then when Ed Brubaker took over, that no longer made sense. So it was aunt and, and niece, which quite frankly, still was a stretch, you know, considering age difference. Right. Um, yeah. But, but, you know, maybe it was one of those, um, uh, 
ant by by title rather than by blood. It's a good. It's a good. It's a good. Uh, it, you know, maybe, maybe Rick. Right. I mean, it gets harder and harder with the with the sliding time scale. You know, when you've got somebody pegged in World War II, but the comics are taking place in in contemporary times. That time period gets stretched further and further. And at some point, maybe Peggy's going to be you know Sharon's grandmother. Exactly. Right. Well, you know, but and I think they addressed that in the MCU. Right. Yeah. I I think they did because, you know, I mean, Peggy Carter was obviously introduced, you know, in in the MCU with that first movie, uh, First Avenger, played beautifully by Ali Hop, uh, was it Haley Atwell? Atwell. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. but uh yeah she was great but then they introduced in in captain america 2 winter soldier they introduced sharon carter and then at some point um was it that movie that that peggy dies right but she was she was alive um but she was you know like 100 at this point right and then during the funeral Sharon says, you know, she was my aunt, but I think it was, I think, I think it, she kind of said like, you know, we called her the aunt. You know, like right, she wasn't man. like really, yeah. it was like a title. Maybe like so a great aunt or something. Right. Yeah. 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 So they kind of addressed that in the MCU. Yeah. Right. You know, and I think that, you know, it's really, it's an interesting, right. Uh, because I said early on that, like, you know, Peggy had a role to play. She was a shield Avengers. It was a good bit character, right. Not a, not a, you know, not an A-list character, maybe not even a B-list, but it's certainly an important supporting character. But, you know, the cinematic, Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, Universe fans swoon over Peggy because she's played central, uh, such a central role in Cap's life in the movies. Uh, I mean, really, that, that uh, spoiler alert, right, that scene at the end of Endgame, right, ties, ties it all back together. Um, but she had a far different role and impact in the comics themselves, uh, at least early on. Still, you know, with the release of the first Avenger, as you said, Marvel Comics made an effort to retcon the character to make her more relevant to, to modern comic readers who simply wanted to see more Peggy. And therefore, they had to find a way, I think, to, to make her fit logically into continuity. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, as, as you know, and, and probably a lot of our listeners know, I used to own a comic book store. And so when when you know, things came out in pop culture, you know, the comic publishers always tried to find something uh, to, you know, have product available for the people who were, you know, they got interest because of a movie or a TV show or a video game or something like that. And they came in and they want to look for something. So it made sense for them to try to find something in current Captain America comics for Peggy. Yeah. And, and and now they have Captain Carter. Right. And now they got Captain Carter. Right. So and she's back in, in volume nine. And who knows? So, you know, and she's young again. So who knows what will happen? Yeah. Who knows, Rick? All right. So, Bob, all this talk of girlfriends leads me to number six mm-hmm. of the top 10 other Captain America retcons. Number six is. Betty Ross and the case of the disappearing girlfriend. 
Yeah, yeah. Now this one blows my mind, Rick. It really does. You know, you know, as we already discussed, we all know about Margaret Peggy Carter and Cap's history together in their World War II romance, thanks to Tales of Suspense 75 and 77 and Captain America 162 and, and that one shot Captain America in the first 13, right? Uh, from that most tenuous of first mentions in Tales of Suspense 75, Peggy went on to become an important supporting player in the Captain America mythos. Okay, and thanks to Marvel's decision to make her front and center in the cinematic universe's portrayal of Cap's origin story, her characterization in the comics has been further fleshed out. I mean, it's not hard to argue that she's become an important character in Cap's world. Now, one of the characters from the Captain America mythos that I find most intriguing is this Betty Ross. Yeah, that's right. Most people give me a blank stare. You, I know not you, but like <laughs> most listeners, right? I mean, they're like, who? Yeah, Hope's, uh, Hope's I'm, girlfriend? I'm, I'm, yeah, sorry. You know, I don't read a lot of Golden Age Cap, so. I know, I know. That's but why like, you're getting a blank stare from me. But you, if you say Betty Ross, people think, well, Hope's girlfriend, right? Hope married her eventually, I think. Bruce Banner, right? I, maybe not mm -hmm. Hope, Bruce Banner for sure. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, but the Betty Ross I'm talking about, her first appearance was in Captain America Comics number one, you know, way back in 1941. So she's in the mix right from the go, Right. And she's in a lot of those early Captain America stories, including the World War II tales that even now we know, with all the retcons, involve Steve Rogers. Now, although her name is Betty Ross, until it's altered slightly to Betsy Ross in Captain America Comics 61, uh, and used as Betsy Ross thereafter, she appears in at least 33 different stories with Captain America during the Golden Age, all the way from the first issue through Captain America Comics 73 in July 1949. I mean, she's even on the cover of Amer Captain America's Weird Tales 74, that sort of funky standalone issue with, uh, with Red Skull, where Cap and Red Skull go down to hell and, and fight it out, right? Um, moreover, one, I mean, one could argue she's not just a bit player, but, but like she usually plays a pivotal role in a lot of those narratives. Um, I mean, she was a love interest of Steve Rogers from very early on and, and was a point of amorous competition between Steve and Sergeant Duffy and a bunch of other suitors as well. Now, eventually she became Golden Girl in the post-war years uh, in Captain America Comics 66. That was what, April 1948, right? And she served as Captain America's partner after Cap's teen sidekick, uh, sidekick was shot by uh, Lavender. All right. So, uh, so far, so good, right? But but this is where it gets strange, Rick. Uh, her, her first appearance in the Silver Age seems to be in Tales of Suspense 64, right? You remember that one? That's uh, Kirby and Lee's retelling of the Sando and Omar story from Captain America Comics number one? Well, yes, we covered that in episode 75. Right, yeah. But you remember in that retelling, she's never identified by name, only as Agent 13. It's true. Okay, right. And in fact, in most of the silver, bronze, and modern, modern age retellings of, of Cap's origin story, Agent 13 is now held to be Betty. Now, thanks to Roy Thomas in Captain America 215, we know that Cap and, and Bucky's later appearances in the 40s Golden Age books weren't really Steve Rogers and Bucky Barnes, but were either William Nasland or Jeff Mace with Fred Davis standing in for Bucky. 
So according to the official index to the Marvel Universe, right, uh, that identifies the Maslin and Davis stint as Captain America uh, and, and Bucky. That ran from, from Captain America Comics 49 through Captain America Comics 58. And then Mason Davis took over, and they would have carried on from Captain America Comics 59 until uh, number 66, when Davis gets shot in the gut by Lavender and is replaced by Betsy Ross's Golden Girl. And, and she stays by Mace's side until the end of the series in July, 1949, or October, 1949, if you count Captain America's Weird Tales 74, where she's on the cover. So she showed up in a, a couple of stories in the 1950s with in Captain America number 74, um, when Cap was now William Burnside. Right. So well, here's the odd thing is she actually never showed up in any Patriot story. So we'll, we'll circle back around to that thing in a minute. So that means even if we discount her adventures alongside Jeff Mace, that's that's 11 uh, Captain America comic books and five Marvel mystery comic books. She still appeared in 16 stories with Steve Rogers and Bucky Barnes. And yet she basically disappears from the Steve Rogers as Cap mythos after Avengers number four. Now, sure, she was much later retconned uh, in the Captain America Patriot miniseries, which came out in 2010, as having eventually married and settled down with Jeff Mace to live out their post-hero lives in a small town called Glendale, New York, where Jeff became the editor of the local newspaper and, and Betsy became a school teacher, right? We know that. And we know that, you know, she was actually the aunt of General Thaddeus Thunderbolt Ross, as well as the great aunt of Elizabeth Betty Ross, Bruce Banner's girl. So um, what's interesting, I, I mentioned that earlier that she never appeared in a single Patriot story back in the golden age, because in, in the Patriot, Captain America Patriot miniseries in 2010, she appears in a lot of stories in which Jeff Mace is still the Patriot. So that was definitely a retcon. So, you know, they did Betsy pretty good in that modern miniseries. And much later in the, in the one-shot Ant-Man Last Days uh, comic, we get to see her final days spent at an ex-superhero, ex-supervillain retirement community down in Miami called Valhalla Villas. But, you know, it just seems weird to me that such an important character was completely retconned out of Steve Rogers' life in the Silver Age, the Bronze Age, the Modern Age. I mean, someone who was so central to so many of his and Bucky's adventures, someone who was likely uh, had an important, you know, back in the Golden Age, I mean, she was, she was like an FBI, you know, person. And, you know, she was an important role model for a lot of young girls during the war. And, you know, Cap had a bit of a crush on her. And yet, boom completely retconned out of existence. Yeah. Well, you know what? I got to tell you, I personally didn't know much about Betty or Betsy Ross, AKA golden girl. Um, so this is actually kind of informational for me. I, I again, I, I'm not a big aficionado for the golden age of captain America comics. <clears throat> So this stuff kind of new, but it does make a lot of sense that you're, you know, someone who's been that pivotal in the, in the series, why, why she really wasn't ever brought up for the first 40, 50 years, you know, that Steve Rogers is, is been brought back into quote unquote, the modern age. 
I'm going to say it, Rick. Betty Ross, Betsy Ross. She was done dirty. Mm. You went and said it. Yep. You know, she would have been a great character, right? I mean, I, uh, I mean, she wasn't even in the invaders for crying out loud. You know where she was though, Bob? She was on the cover of Comic Shop News 2021 Winter Preview Edition. You don't say. Yeah. So if you go to um, a local comic book store, there is this uh, paper, you know, newspaper type of, type of thing that's called Comic Shop News. And um, there was a time that uh, cartoonist Fred Hembeck was doing the covers for Comic Shop News. And if you don't know Fred Hembeck, look him up. Um, he was kind of popular back in the mid to late 70s, early mid 80s, uh, did these little cartoons inside the, the Marvel comics. And he did a, um, um, a few different uh, comics as well. And um, I, I've become a, a fan of Fred Hembeck um, lately. And so I, I get these little sketch cards that he makes. Anyway, long story short, he did... Um, this cover, I'm going to show it to, to Bob here. And this was um, the winter of 2021. So uh, what was going on at that time was Falcon and Winter Soldier on Disney+. Plus. And so you have in the, in the foreground, you have um, a snowman made to look like the Winter Soldier. And you have Sam Wilson as the Falcon uh, putting together this snowman and in, in the background you see captain america and golden girl and they are um uh golden girl is is speaking and she says to cap gee that falcon and the winter snowman <clears throat> or i mean soldier show sure was popular maybe disney plus would like another series about one of your old sidekicks you think there'd be any interest in a golden girl show cap love it and Cap says, only if they find B. Arthur floating <laughs> in a chunk of ice and can revive her. Ow, that's harsh. And then I own the original. Oh, I love it. I yeah. love it. Man, um, Betsy got dissed. I know, right? Yeah. Yeah. Woo. You know, it's just crazy to me that, um, you know, not to harp on this, but, you know, the way that, you know, Peggy Carter was sort of brought into Tales of Suspense, uh, 75, 77, 160, 162, sort of that whole sort of evolution. It could have been Betty Ross, right? Based on her frequent appearances and interactions with Cap throughout the golden age. And it wasn't until, uh, it wasn't until, I guess they had to explain away uh, her partnership with Jeff Mace after they, they, they did all that retcon, but uh what a missed opportunity. She would have been a great character. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Now that you brought all that up, it does. It's, it's strange. Almost like, you know, did they forget about her or did they, was there some sort of licensing thing? Like, I, I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Well, Bob, um, I got to tell you these, these were great, um, great topics to, to kind of go through. I, I'm excited to go through, um, the next time when we go through the top 10 uh, other Captain America retcons part two, and we will cover five 
through one. Um, so, you know, come back. So come back for episode 89 and we will uh, take, take a, a, a gander at those five. Um, but this has been a, a really fun and interesting uh, trip down some, some things that didn't always make sense to me, mm-hmm. you know, and the way you explored them uh, really brought some, to some ideas to light. So for the, for the diehard Captain America fans out there that are listening, uh, I think a lot of them felt the same way uh, as far as, um, huh? Yeah. I always wonder about that too. Or, or if, and, and if not, maybe there's been some new things that have been brought to light. So the next time you go to read these, you'll have a different, uh, looking at him with a with different lens. You know, Rick, as I always say, it's all worthwhile if just one person goes, what? All right. This is, this is the time when the listeners, <laughs> especially the ones that are driving right now, you, you, you basically, I want to hear, uh, I want to hear what, you know, <laughs> go ahead, grip the steering wheel. Do it, it folks. Lo- say as loud as you can. <laughs> All right, Bob, any, any other last thoughts? No, just stay tuned because we got more folks. All right. So Bob, uh, next episode 85, we get to get, we get to, to, to go into 2022, Bob, we get to go to the year of 2022 because there's brand new Captain America story out there. (laughs) Exactly. It's Captain America (laughs) zero. So it is the one shot issue that basically sets the stage for the two new ongoing Captain America series. We have the uh, Sam Wilson one that comes out in May. And then we have the Steve Rogers one that comes out in June. So uh, Captain America Zero, we're going to take you through panel by panel and uh, cover that issue. So make sure you come back next episode for 85 for captain america zero yeah i uh, rick you know we've been waiting on that one buddy and uh i'm not i'm not leaving my chair until we get to it all right i'm doing a protest <laughs> sounds good all right well he's bob lucius i'm rick Verbonis, and you've been listening to another episode of the captain america comic book fans podcast 